Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Luke 15. We are studying through the Jesus passages. We are going through reading, and we're in week 38 of our Bible reading, and there's a Bible reading guide in your bulletin. And I, I hope that, I pray that many of you are doing that. And then on Sundays, we're preaching along what the people are reading. And today, this week, you'll be reading about a very famous story, and we can't gloss over it. It's called the story, we call it the story of the prodigal son. But in reality, it's not a story about the prodigal. It's a story about the Heavenly Father. And it's a story that tells us about the Father's love for us. And it shows how deep the Father's love, how, how compassionate He is for us. Because in reality, a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about what God is like. And people out there are believing everything but the truth. And Jesus is being criticized for the lifestyle he has, and he can't come from God. And he says, you you have a problem, folks, is you don't understand what God is like. If you know what God is like, you would not be criticizing me. In fact, Jesus is there. He's on his way to the cross. He's sort of winding up his ministry in the area of Perea. And he's sitting there talking to some sinners Sinners, in the sense that they aren't people who follow the law like the Pharisees did. And tax collectors, those who are hated because they collected money for the Romans. And the religious establishment comes by in verses 1 and 2 of Luke 15, and they say, look, there he is, spending time with tax collectors and sinners. The implication was he cannot be from God. Because if God were to come from heaven and to spend time with people on earth, you know who he'd spend time with? Those of us who are dressed properly. Hmm? Those of us who follow the traditions of Moses and those of us who are better than the rest of you guys. So if God were to come and take on flesh and live with men, he would not be like this man Jesus because he's not spending time with us. In fact, he's criticizing us. He would come and be with us. And so what Jesus does in Luke chapter 15, he gives us three stories which have which are very familiar probably to most of us who've been raised in church or Sunday school. He tells a story of, he says, if you want to know what the father's like, he's like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One goes astray. He leaves the 99, goes to the one, puts it on his shoulders, brings it back and rejoices because the one that was lost now has been found. He says, the father's also like a woman who has 10 coins. These coins aren't very valuable, but she loses one. And when she loses that one coin, she turns her house upside down, cleaning, looking at for that lost coin. And when she finds it, she invites her neighbors to come in because the one that was lost now has been found. That's what the father is like. And then he tells the story of a man, a father who had two sons. One was pretty compliant, but the other one said, Father, give me everything I have. And he went out and spent it on riotous living. And uh, that story of the father's love for him, that when he comes back, he has compassion on him. And the compassion, the love that he has for his son demonstrates to us the true character of what God the Father is like. And my friends, today we're going to discover that, answer the question, was the Father like? We're going to discover that he is better. He is more, more incredible than we have ever dreamed. That if you were to create a God in heaven, you could not create him any better than he is told about in the story of the prodigal son. So if you have your Bibles, let's open to Luke chapter 15 and read this and see this story uh, and the wonderful portrayal of the Heavenly Father. Now, as I go through this, and we've already had the passage read to us, but as we go through this, I want you to remember, Christ is trying to clarify what the Father is like. And what he says about the Father 
as he wants what he wants us to know about the character of the Father. And there are several things that he says in this passage. I'll just draw three to our attention today. Number one, that he is incredibly patient. If you look at the story in verse 11 that was read for us, it's this young son, the younger brother comes to his father, the young son, and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divides his property there between his two boys. Now, that seems like maybe a typical greedy thing to do, but it's more than greed. It's really an insult. It's sort of like saying, you know, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. You know, I wish you were dead, because if you were dead, I would have half the estate, and I could go out and live as I like. So in reality, it was a death wish to his father. It was a great insult to his father. Father, I don't want you hanging around. I I want you out of the picture so I can get the money, and I can go out, and I can live the way I want to live. So he insults the father. But secondly, he goes out and then he squanders what is given. If you look in verse 13, he says, Not long after that, the younger brother, son, got up together, all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and he squandered his wealth in wild living. He squandered it in wild living. What's it mean to squander your wealth? Well, later when the older brother comes in, he uses the word prostitutes, you know, living with prostitutes. So that's one definition of how he squandered it. So here, probably, he got involved in the the nightlife. He got involved in the scene where people who don't live for God were, you know, and people were taking advantage of him, and women were taking advantage of him. And he did some of the worst that probably a young man could do with the money. And then he finds himself, you know, feeding the pigs. He's out of money. Verse 14, he had spent everything... After he had spent everything, there was a famine in the whole country, so he hired himself out to a citizen. And as he watched the pigs feed in verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods from these animals. Like what they were eating, he wished he had. Now, where is the Heavenly Father when all this is going on? The Heavenly Father is still back home. The Heavenly Father has graciously given his son the half of the money he wanted. The Father is not calling and and chasing him and saying, oh, son, please come home, please come home. You know, we sure miss you around here. Your mommy wants to know what's happening with you. He's not pestering and micromanaging the situation. He's at home. Now, if he was a a father like an earthly father in a church like this, he's probably praying a lot. (laughs) He's probably hoping a lot, right? He's desiring that that son would come home. But the best part of the story is in verse 20 where it says that when he sees the son coming home, he had compassion on him and he ran out to greet him. He could hardly wait to see him come home. My friends, I'm here to tell you that if you want to know what the Heavenly Father is like, he's incredibly patient. He's incredibly patient with people that insult him. He's incredibly patient with people who take the good stuff and the blessings that he gives to them and squander them without any concern for him at all. And he is willing to sit there, and when he sees you making your first effort to come back to him after years of failure, he is willing to run out and greet you and to welcome you back as a son. I ask myself, would God have an alternative to this? Could God be anything but patient? The only alternative God could have had was a creation. See, Adam and Eve fail, eat the fruit, and transgress his law, would be to blow it all up, say, you're toast. 
<laughs> We're done. This experiment didn't work. It was a nice idea we as the triune God had in heaven. And it thought, well, it would be creative, create Adam and Eve in the garden and the earth and all that kind of stuff. It sounded like a nice thing, but it didn't work. You know, so we're going to blow this thing up and we're going to start all over again. Or we got our hands burned. We're not going to do that over again. Hmm? No. Because the character of God is patience. And God's only alternative because of his character is to work with Adam and Eve by his grace to help the dead become alive to help the lost to become found. My friends, there's only one person that you will ever know that is patient like this. That is the Heavenly Father. And I'm here to tell you, He is better than you ever dreamed. Would you have given up on the Apostle Peter if you were Jesus? You know, always sticking his foot in his mouth. The night he talks about his death, he said, Lord, I'll follow you even to the cross. Denies him three times hmm? while Jesus is being arraigned. Later on in Asia Minor, he's eating barbecue pork sandwich until the Jewish leaders come from Palestine. Then he puts the pork sandwiches down and starts eating the barbecue beef sandwiches. Hmm? I mean, you say, Peter, you know, you know, why would God use Peter as the great missionary to the circumcision? Why would he do it? Because God is a patient God. He's patient. You know, uh, Clee Rogers, one of our medical students, works at a clinic. Susie goes down there and volunteers. Many of you go down and volunteer at the clinic. Now, look at these people. They come in, some of them right out of prison. Some of them have been on the bottle or on drugs, and they've abused their family members. And I wonder if some of these family members would come in and say, you're wasting your time helping these people. They have really abused us. They've really taken advantage of their family. They have lied to us repeatedly over and over and over again. What are you doing with those people? And yet, my friends, there's a God in heaven that doesn't trash us and throw us away because he is so patient, he wants us to come home. Who's the worst person that you've ever run across in your experience? Who's the person that's hurt you the worst? Hmm? I have, I have a guy that has hurt our family. And I mean, you know, you think to yourself, that's why there's a God in light in the world. That's why there's a heaven and a hell for people like this. But then you think to yourself, God is still not done with that person. I've got to be patient with that person. Just as the God in heaven is patient with me. My friends, what is God the Father like? He's patient. And he is more patient than you ever dreamed. The second quality I see of the Father is that He's gracious. I mean, in verse 17, the the Son sits there, and the verse here says, He came to His senses, and what did He say? He said, How many of my Father's hired men have food to spare? Not just food, but food to spare. And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my Father and say to to, to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went back to his father. Now look at how the father is gracious to him. But while he was still a long, long way off, okay? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's just now starting this process. The father saw him and was filled with compassion. 
And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. That should be enough. But he said to his son, Father, the son said, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let's celebrate. For the son of mine is dead, was dead, and now is alive again. He was lost, and he has been has been found. So they began to celebrate. My friends, if you look at the grace that God the Father has here, it's incredible. How would you define grace? Well, I'll give you some suggestions. Number one, it's totally free and undeserved. Hmm? Totally free and undeserved. What did this son do to get this? Nothing. It's a free gift that only God could give him. God the Father would give him. It was totally undeserved. But secondly, not only is it undeserved, but if you look at it, it's, it's generous and exceeds any expectation a person can have. In fact, God the Father wants to layer His grace upon us. He wants to lavish it upon us, as the Apostle Paul says. He, he anticipates you coming. He sees them coming. He runs out. He doesn't sit there and cross his arms and wait for Him to come to Him and say, okay, what do you got to say for yourself? Or how come you're not like your older brother? Right? He runs, he hugs, he kisses, he layers it on, a robe on his shoulders, sandals on his feet, ring on his finger, and he kills the fatted calf and stops the whole world so that we can have a party and celebrate. The one that was dead now is alive. The one that was lost now has been found. My friends, grace to the Heavenly Father outweighs any kind of grace we can give to each other. Because it is so so free and generous and beyond the expectations that anyone could have. You know, it's amazing. Jesus is winding up his career. The cross is next. Do you think he was delighted to be able to tell people about the Father? Do you think he was delighted to be with tax collectors and sinners who wanted to listen to what he had to say? And let the world know that there's no limit, no limit to the forgiveness, love, and grace that God wants to give. To other people. The third quality is joy. Because he says, we've got to have a party. The father here that's patient, the father here that wants to give grace is the father that wants to be joyful. In fact, in verse 25, he said, we've got to have a party. <laughs> and the older brother comes in and he hears the music and dancing in verse 25. So he called to one of the servants there in verse 26. And in verse 27, uh, he says, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never, and I never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you know, not my brother, but this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you fill the fatted calf and have a party. My son, my son, the father said, you always are with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. My friends... What an incredible story that God the Father is not just patient, not just gracious, 
But my friends, he gets pumped. (laughs) The bells of heaven ring for joy when someone who is lost decides to come home. Not even sibling rivalry, the criticism of another person. Not even the misunderstandings and the failures of what this, this young boy had done could stop the father from having joy that the lost one came home. You know, I think it's easy to read this story and to see the grace, to see the patience, and overlook the joy. And to fail to see that the stuff that brings joy to the Heavenly Father is lost people coming home to Him. is people that He has created. The people that He has sent His Son to die for to forgive them of their sin. That the joy of the Father is to see His creation no matter what they have done, no matter where they have been, no matter how they have ruined their life, to come home to him. You know, I I think it's easy for me. I love to read those little Bible journals back there and do the Bible journaling and uh, to substitute my knowledge and my journaling for what? The joy of seeing lost people come back to him. My wife is a woman of prayer, and it would be easy for her to take prayer and allow prayer to become a substitute for seeing lost people be found. It's easy to go to church, do the singing, do the preaching, run a program, serve on a committee, do some stuff, and allow that to be a substitute for the real joy of seeing lost people be found. And whether I'm doing stuff at church, whether I'm praying, or whether I'm reading the Bible... It's all a process and stepping stones to take me in the direction of what? Experiencing joy that comes by seeing lost men and women and boys and girls coming back to the one who created them, the one who died for them, the one who loves them. And my friends, Jesus says, you got to know the Father. And the best part about the Father is that he really goes crazy when someone who is lost comes home. He gets excited and he wants to put a robe on their shoulders, a ring finger on his finger, sandals, throw a party, kill the fatted calf, and have, let everybody know that that lost person, that one who rebelled against him, has finally come home. That's why I, I just really love the parables of the talents in Matthew 25. I think it's a great picture of heaven where, the, where Jesus says that the, when he returns, he'll say to the one that was faithful, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. See, I think heaven is a commendation. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in small responsibilities. I will make you responsible for greater things. I think that's a picture of heaven. We are tested here, our faithfulness. How can God use us in eternity with greater responsibilities? And then an invitation. Come, come, enter into the joy of your Lord. My friends, what is the joy of the Lord? That we are faithful in using everything that we have to do the will of the Father on earth, to turn the hearts of men and women and boys and girls back to the Father who loves them, whose heart is full of compassion, who patiently and graciously wants to have joy when we come home. Is that what the Father's like? Is that what the Father's like? Yeah, I look like that and I say, is God a mushmelon? I can do anything I want. I can be as stupid as I want. I can make as many bad decisions as I want. 
and God is just a mushmelon? No, I think there's a catalytic response that he wants us to have. And what's that catalytic response? Well, look at verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses. You know, if you look at that, literally when it says when he came to his senses, it means when he came to his senses, it means that when he came to himself. That was a, a idiomatic saying in those days when a person finally saw himself in the light of that situation figured it out. And here the prodigal son finally came to his senses. He looked at his life and he realized, look what I have done. Look at the pain that I have caused other people. Look at the way I have ruined my life and failed so miserably. Oh, my God. Look at me. And look at the father back home, how he treats even the servants. And they are living with abundance. And here I have failed to take advantage of all that he has given to me. I will go back and demonstrate the fruit of repentance And say, Father, I have failed, I have sinned, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, I will be your servant, I'll be your slave. My friends, that took some guts to go back and knock on the door and say, here I am, I have failed. I'm I'm coming back now as a son, I'm coming back now as your slave. Because even your slaves are living better than I live today. If you ever hang around a little grandchild as I have done over the last several weeks. And one of the grandchildren will do something, and then their parent will drag them in front of grandma and grandpa and up, say, you're sorry. Hmm? And they'll say they're sorry. But you know that they're going to do it again. <laughs> right? They have no intention of changing. Right? And that's the kind of repentance we tend to have that's not real. Oh, God, I'm sorry. God, keep me from doing that again. But we have full intention of doing it again. But here the prodigal came back. He came to his senses. And he says, I am coming home. My friends, the first way we can come to our senses is to come home. Is to come home to the one who loves us, the one who forgives us, the only one who really counts in our lives. You know, I look at what this text says, and I think with with coming to our senses, the whole idea here is that there's no relationship without truth. What is truth? Truth is saying, this is who I am. And this is who God is. And without coming back to our senses and coming to truth, there is no relationship. Look at a human level. Look in families or at school or in friendships. Someone does something stupid. Then they ignore what they've done. And they never put the truth on top of the table. Well, that limits the kind of relationship you can have, you see, because truth liberates and truth will free us. Jesus, on the cross, he said, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Are they going to heaven? I don't think they, some of them are. When Jesus got off the cross after the resurrection, who did he hang out with? Those who killed him? Those who rejected his truth? Or those who accepted his truth? You see, every man, woman, child has to come to their senses where they recognize there's a God in heaven who created me. I have blown it in my sinful life, my, the rebellion of my heart, my head, my lips, my actions, and I've got to come home to him. My friends, I ask you today, have you come home to him? It's amazing when the confusion arises about who is God, he gives three stories, the one of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and what? A lost son. The lost sheep has to be found... The lost coin has to be found. But when it comes to a human being, what happens? They have to return. 
So God the Father does want us to find us. He does his part fully by cleaning the house and going out and looking for a lost shepherd. But there is a responsibility of every man and every woman to come to their senses and to recognize that God in heaven, who is so patient, who is so gracious, and can hardly wait to throw a party when that last person comes home. I had a man one time, and he was struggling with whether God loved him, and he got, went bankrupt, and in the process of going bankrupt, he hid some assets from the government. So he lost everything, but not everything. <laughs> he lost everything on paper, but not everything in reality. A couple of years later, he came to see me, and he'd also, in that problem process, had a tragedy with a son who was killed in a car wreck. And he came to me talking about his son and wanted to know about the son. And finally, I was so confused, and I said, I said, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to ask me? I don't understand. He said, I guess I want to know one is my son in heaven. I said, is that all? He said, no, I think secondly, I want to know, am I going to heaven? I think the problem with his life is he had cheated and lived a lie and twisted the truth, even with people like the government, that he realized that there was no peace with God because of the falsehoods in his life. And my friends, like this prodigal son, every man, every woman has to come to their senses and say, God, I am nothing apart from you, my creator, my great savior who died on the cross for me. And God, today I come home to you. My friends, I don't know who everyone is in this room, and I don't know where you have been with your spirituality. I don't know where you are with your walk with God, but I'm here to tell you. I'm here to beg of you. Don't let this day go by without coming home to the Heavenly Father, to the one who only cares for you. I think a second way to apply this passage is to help others come home. Because what's the purpose of the story? The purpose of the story is to say, is to defend who Jesus is because he's hanging around the wrong kind of people. And why is he being criticized? Because he's hanging around people who need to come home. And the whole purpose of this story is to show that God is a person who goes crazy and it gets excited when the lost are found, the dead become alive. And that is the very essence, that's the very stuff of who God the Father is. And my friends, I think when we come to our senses, we come home ourselves. And then when we come home ourselves and we experience the joy and the celebration that is there when we come home, we want everybody else in our world to experience that same celebration and joy. And the reason so many Christians don't have joy in their lives, there's an emptiness or a boredom to their walk with God, is because we're not involved in helping other people come home to God as well. And the number one thing Jesus was criticized was for hanging around the wrong people and caring for them, and healing them, and loving them, and doing it even on the wrong day, the Sabbath day. And yet he was criticized because those criticizing him did not know what the Father was like, that the Father loves us so much that he wants everyone to come back to him. 
You know, I look back on the career of Jesus. If Jesus pastored, what would he do today? He would just go out there and roam around and talk to people. <laughs> do you know the Father? Do you know the Father? <laughs> Are you a sinner? Are you a tax collector? Do you need to come home? And he did everything every day for the purpose of engaging people to know the Heavenly Father who is so patient, the Heavenly Father that is so gracious. My friends, what will bring you joy? It's not the things of this world. I'm here to tell you that. What will bring you joy? It's the same stuff that brings the Heavenly Father joy. It's helping the lost be found. Last night I got I flew in and went to see my mother and had supper with Matt and and, uh, and Kristen and Caroline stood us up and uh, and as I drove home as Kristen was dropping me off at my house I saw my neighbor across the street and my neighbor just buried his wife this past week she's in her early forties left my my neighbor and his their three year old son Max and a very sad situation she's been struggling with cancer that you know breast cancer went to her hip and then went to her brain and finally she succumbed to it the last night i was in town before we left to go to canada uh susie took over some food and and they asked if i would come over and see them because we all knew it'd be the last time i would see we would see each other alive and so the night before we left i went over to to be with her and when it's the last time to be with a person, what's, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> you know, is heaven on the agenda? And I wanted to make sure that even though something was growing in her brain that was going to take her life, that she knew and she had confidence in the Heavenly Father. And that she had confidence that His Son, Jesus, died on the cross to forgive her of her sin and that she had trusted Him. And I shared that message with her on two occasions there. And when she told me that she had full confidence that even though her brain was going nuts, God was on his throne in heaven. And when I said, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and have you trusted him to forgive you of your sin? And she said, yes, I have. And I said, Lynn, you've got nothing to worry about. Because the Father says, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. When none of the rest of us can be with you in that process... God the Heavenly Father is going to be with you. And what a joy it was last night to get home and to see John and Max out in the front yard. And I went out and spent some time. We walked down the street about an hour and a half walk. Got back and had lemonade in his house. And he gave me a little bun to have for breakfast this morning since I'm batching it. And to hear how God met their needs and the funeral was a joyous occasion at their Lutheran church. And how the family came and now the future is there for them. But my friends, I went home with joy in my heart because God opens a door in the lives of other people for you just to walk through and to help those people that he has created, people that he loves to know and to love him even better. My friends, what makes the bells of heaven ring for joy is when the lost come home. How can I please the Heavenly Father? Number one, by coming home myself. And secondly, by helping those who don't know Him to come home. Do you see why I say the love of the Father is better 
and greater than you could ever create. You can't imagine or paint a God in heaven who's any better than the father and the prodigal son, who for you is so patient, for you is so gracious, and for you wants to have, be joyful when you come home. They tell us the sad part about the story of the prodigal son is that newspaper editors can't use it as an illustration because stories like the Samaritan and people, the good Samaritan and stories like the prodigal, Joe Public doesn't know the context. So if they use it as an illustration in a newspaper or magazine article, it doesn't connect with people because we are so biblically illiterate. And I thought to myself, how sad it is that people don't know the father. If they don't know the story of the prodigal son, they don't know how incredibly patient he is. They don't know the great grace that's waiting for them. They don't understand that there's a party waiting if the lost people will just come home. I was preaching this sermon last Sunday in Canada. And after the service, I met a man and I said, what do you do for a living? And he says, well, I've lost my job. He said, I work for an American firm that had a Canadian uh, affiliate here. Uh, a high-rolling energy company, and he says, I was making big bucks. Then all of a sudden, they called me in and said, we're closing down the office. And now I'm without, without anything. I've never been like this in my life. And he said, do you have any advice for me? I said, no, but I got an observation for you. I said, I bet all your former friends have left you. The people that used to depend upon you or call you or connect with you or ask you to lunch or coffee, they're gone. He said, you hit the nail on the head. He says, it's like I don't exist anymore. Nobody wants to be with me. I said, my friends, I said, that's because we as humans have an old nature and we will disappoint each other. And I said, that's why the parable of the prodigal son is so important because it tells us about the father who is the only one ultimately who really will care for us. And my father, and, my, and I told him, my friend, why spend your life trying to please other people? when the only person that is worth pleasing is really the Heavenly Father. My friends, I'm here to ask you, have you come home? If you haven't haven't come home, if you're not sure you've come home, we're going to pray in a few minutes. I want you to say, Heavenly Father, I'm coming home. You created me for your purposes. I sinned against you and you sent your son Jesus to die for me. Lord, I accept that free gift of salvation of forgiveness in Him. And today I come home to be your son, your daughter. And maybe if you've come home, maybe you've been lax in helping other people come home. Enter into the joy of the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be criticized the same way Jesus was criticized by helping others who are lost be found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you not just for the words of Scripture. We thank you not just for creation. But, Lord, we thank you for the great storyteller and Savior, Jesus, who not only in his love revealed himself, yourself to us, but, Lord, in this story of the prodigal son. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in our congregation today that right now, Father, if they have not come home, that deep in the recesses of their heart they would speak to you 
and say, Oh, Heavenly Father, today is the day I want to make sure I have come home to you. Father, thank you for creating me. Thank you for forgiving me. Oh, God, I confess I am unworthy. Lavish me with your grace and make me your child. I beg of you right now, friends, if you've never come home, come home right now. And for those of us who have come home, and you feel like your life is spinning in circles and your Christian experience is boring, it's because the joy of the Lord is seeing the lost be found. And reach out and say, Oh God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear. The mission field where you have placed me at school, at home, in the neighborhood, at work, in my friendships, in my extended family. God, there are people there that don't know you. Oh, may the bells of heaven ring for joy because I'm involved in helping the lost be found. Oh, Father, you make the dead alive, the lost be found. Oh, by the power of your Spirit, take the Word of God and massage it deep into the recesses of our hearts and change us according to your perfect will. Oh, we pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.